Okay, good evening, everyone, and welcome to a U-Active hybrid conference supported by Mondelez International. I'm Mariam Saidi. Please do all take your seats. Um, a big welcome, of course, to everyone who is joining us in person and to everyone who is joining us online. And as always, do send in your questions or your comments at any time through the debate, and I'll pick out your questions for later on in the program. Okay, so today we're going to be revisiting a topic that sometimes causes a little bit of fireworks here at U-Active, labelling. But specifically, we're going to be looking at the European Commission's proposal to amend the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive and the Consumer Rights Directive. Now, the first regulates what businesses can and can't do when they offer products to consumers. And the second is about regulating guarantees or claims um, of in-store online products. Now, these changes are expected to create a framework that can empower consumers to make more informed, sustainable decisions and also try to stamp out some of that greenwashing that we know goes on quite a bit. But can this guidance then really have the effect intended and help consumers make those informed decisions. And what about brand-owned labels? Will the EU still recognise those, or are they for the dustbin? Well, let's ask the experts. But before we get to um, this lovely panel and to those panellists who are joining us online, hello to you too. Um, before we get to the policy side of it, um, let's hear from someone on the ground who engages in sustainable farming practices to understand how a product is ethically or sustainably made, and then how that then substantiates the claims made on the label Please give a warm hand to Emmerich Duchesne. He's a farmer and a member of Val France Cooperative, an organisation for crop farmers. Please go ahead. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, so my name is Emmerich Duchesne and I live in France. Uh, I'm based north of Paris and I'm farming about uh, 200 hectares, mainly producing wheat, sugar beets, oilseed grapes, peas and corn. The main part of my wheat is sold to a French cooperative uh, called Val France, and I've been involved in the Harmony program since uh, 2012, when I started farming. It has always been a key driver for me to know exactly the final destination of the wheat I'm producing within my farm. The main reason is probably because we do produce wheat with a permanent focus on quality. Focus on, on the wheat quality, focus on the earth quality, on the soil quality, but also on biodiversity enhancement, land protection. As we are part of the value chain, it's important to me to know the exact end market. So when Mandelez and Val France decided to work together on this project, I did join pretty quickly as it's part of my DNA. Uh, sustainable farming is at the forefront of our practices. To provide you with an example, I have more than two kilometers of edges in between my field and took the decision this winter to add another 1.4 kilometers. I am also a beekeeper myself, and so I have a permanent focus on the full ecosystem I'm working with. From regenerative agriculture to cover crop, we have a permanent focus on our soil, which is our main assets. The Harmony program was already active when I started farming in 2012, and my father was already involved as the program started in 2008, if I remember well. I'm, pr I'm proud to continue the work he started, and the innovative farming practices in place make me confident about the future. I am convinced that French farmers have to be involved in a collective approach along the supply chain between miller cooperatives and farmers. With such a program, everyone through the value chain has a responsibility versus others, and vice versa. 
I am working with best practices to make sure the end consumers are fully happy by eating its local made biscuits. Um, I am farming in one of the main wheat producer countries and the way to differentiate ourselves from others is to produce quality. Being part of such a program enhances this distinctive characteristic. A new version of the program has been revealed, I think, and the new holistic approach with a focus on training and digital tools is appealing for me. Last but not least, it's important for me that this program has a European approach. French farming practices are often seen as the best in class and I'm deeply concerned about this reputation. So when you work with a company such as Mandelez, sourcing wheat from a lot of different country, countries, sorry, having the same specifications from all your wheat providers is mandatory. And I think the new version of the Harmony program is starting to, is starting to tackle them. Okay, lovely. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and applause. So, Emric, you've been with Harmony since 2012, you said, and you said that you come from a generation of farmers. Um, so you've been with this Mondelez program for a number of years. Would you be happy to work under another sustainable program? Say, for example, the Harmony program couldn't exist anymore due to the changes in any sort of EU laws that might come. Well, I, I don't know if the question is happy or unhappy. You know, we, we, are, we, we are farming for years and years, and, and, and I, I hope my, my, my children will also take over the farm and will continue farming. So what, what we like as a farmer is to get visibility. And because we made a lot of investment in our farm, uh, you can imagine that planting edges on a farm take, costs a lot of money, and it's not productive in terms of financial return. So it's about the ecosystem and, and what we are looking for as a farmer is visibility. So if, if, the, if the program is changing, we, we will have to adapt ourselves. Maybe it's coming from Mondelez or it's coming from the EU or it's coming from, uh, we, we have to discuss about it and we have to see how, how sustainable is, is the approach. And, and so it's probably also to Mondelez to, to reply, or I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. Please take a seat. Thank you so much. Okay, well, let's now introduce the panel of experts. Okay, so first we have Niels Berndt, who's a Deputy Director General at DG Just. Welcome. Um, we also have Biliana uh, Borzan, a Croatian Social Democrat MEP, who joins online. Welcome. Um, we also have Malta Gale, who's a German Green MEP. Welcome to you too. Uh, Christian, I think, Weig, is that how you pronounce your surname, sir? Perfect. Very good. Okay, I hope that is the way you pronounce it. Um, and then last but not least, we have Marie Elul from the Harmony Programme Lead at Mondelez International. Welcome to you all. Now, to understand a little bit about each and every panellist, I'll give them a chance now to take the floor. Um, so we'll start with you first, Niels. Well, thanks a lot uh, for, for um, organising today's event. Um, we believe it's very important to look into this area. Why? Uh, let me just give you a few figures. There is an urgent need to act. Overall, consumers are very interested to support a greener consumption and to support uh, companies, farmers, like, like uh, the one Pierre uh, presented, um, which invest into a greener production and consumption. Uh, we did a couple of surveys and 75% of the consumers are said that they would uh, consider buy green products. 72% even say that personally they believe they should do more. 
56% say that they are influenced by environmental considerations when purchasing over the last two weeks. So overall, there is really a lot of interest. But unfortunately, not all is good. Why? If you um, look into the level of trust in green claims which are being used, um, uh, our surveys say that only around 50% of the consumers trust the claims and labels out there. And we see over the last two years a decrease of 5%. 27% say that there is a lack of transparency, reliability and comprehensibility of labels uh, so that they are, let's say, held back to buy. And that's indeed um, really intriguing. Out of the 75%, they, they say that they would uh, consider buying green products. At the end, only 17% go for a green product, according to our surveys, for all kinds of reasons, but including the lack of reliable information. We also did... Uh, 2020, an uh, online survey with national enforcement authorities about green claims used in the online environment. And we realized that uh, more than 50% of the claims analyzed in detail did not provide sufficient justification uh, to verify whether the claim is accurate, whether the claim carries. So let's say that is really the starting point. We will have time to go into details of the, the legal environment later on. But really, there is a huge interest of consumers to, to do more, also to pay more, because often being greener means investing more. You have, let's say, a lower return on investment. Many consumers we know are very price sensitive. And in the current situation of the high inflation, price, of course, matters even more. But still, there is a lot of willingness to pay a bit more. But of course, only if you can trust that what you then choose is really reliable. And there is really, um, I think Jörg Tiff said it in, in uh, the, the description, there's a jungle out there. And let's say there are lots of good companies and good farmers and good individuals that uh, try to, to promote. But we want to make sure that those who are really doing the job and going green, that they are rewarded, that consumers are going this direction and are not distracted into the green washing area. No, I think it's an important point you make about price as well um, and sustainability and how people can actually afford these products as well. Um, Biliana, come to you next. Uh, good afternoon. I hope you hear me. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry that I couldn't be uh, today with you, but I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to um, be online because this is the issue that I'm quite excited and enthusiastic about. Uh, well, uh, already has been mentioned how uh, consumers um, uh, like uh, every day more and more to have sustainable choices uh, and they are ready to reward uh, or to buy more uh, from the companies which are uh, responsible when we talk about environment, social rights, etc. So uh, it has also, on the other hand, it has been uh, become increasingly common for companies to make false or, or uh, exaggerated claims about the environmental impact of their products and services. So they use this uh, um, responsibility of uh, consumers. Uh, these false claims, uh, often refers, uh, referred as greenwashing, uh, can be harmful not only uh, uh, to consumers, but to environment itself. Uh, the European Union has taken, uh, uh, taken a strong stance against such false claims 
uh, introducing uh, strict uh, regulations aiming at cracking down on companies uh, that engage in greenwashing. Uh, the EU's directive uh, on unfair commercial practices, for example, prohibit companies uh, from making misleading, uh, misleading uh, or uh, exaggerated environmental claims. But despite uh, uh, those efforts, the problem of false uh, green claims persists uh, and it is arguably getting worse. Uh, this is why it is more important than ever uh, for consumers to be informed and to question the environmental claims uh, by, uh, made by companies. So we must be vigilant uh, and hold companies uh, accountable for their actions. So uh, uh, the proposal uh, uh, from Commission is very welcomed uh, as its intention is to provide clarity and information to consumers facing a jungle of environmental claims. Uh, producers and traders have long recognized that uh, um, uh, environmental claims are important to consumers and that more than 80% of citizens bought products that are better for the environment, even though they were uh, more expensive. Uh, therefore, uh, we have uh, countless environmental claims and sustainability labels on the market that uh, have not been uh, properly substantiated. So our work on this proposals sh uh, proposal should uh, uh, be to ensure transparency and truthfulness of such claims while making them easily and understandable to consumers. Uh, one of the most important things uh, we can do is to demand uh, transparency from companies. Uh, we must ask questions, uh, do research and seek out independent third-party uh, certifications uh, that verify the uh, environmental impact uh, uh, of a product or, or service. Furthermore, we as consumers uh, uh, must all play our part in ensuring that companies uh, are held accountable uh, for their actions. We must be informed consumers, demanding transparency uh, and rejecting false or misleading environmental claims. Therefore, I believe uh, we should not miss the chance to uh, sort this out uh, in the legislative proposal on empowerment, uh, empowering consumers uh, for the green transition through better protection against uh, unfair practices and better information. That's from me for the beginning and later, of course, we can, we can discuss uh, furthermore. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Malta. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Um, I always uh, think like for us as legislators, it's the biggest task to um, protect uh, well-being. And uh, I think this is also what uh, the Commission or this in this legislation is really pointing out is that we also think of the well-being of the future generations that aren't born or uh, already in this moment. So um, the whole European Green Deal basically uh, addresses the, the right to live on this planet for the generations to come in, I don't know, 100, 200 years. And so we, we are facing multiple crises, like the climate crisis, the pollution crisis, uh, and all of this, uh, of course, in a liberal, liberal democracy. Also, the individuals, they uh, have a power. 
to, to decide. And I think this is uh, really important uh, to mark here um, that uh, w when we talk about uh, labels and greenwashing, um, then of course there, uh, we only talk about uh, the range of, of the legally possible uh, things to do for companies. But of course we still as legislators have the duty to forbid the really harmful uh, things. So now when we look at what, what happened in the last years uh, or uh, yeah, when it became uh, modern, uh, hip to, to call yourself green, yeah, we, we looked at so many claims that weren't, of course, substantiated, but also like with weird concepts. For me personally, for example, I think it's super weird to call something climate neutral, because uh, just because you like buy an offsetting certificate at some point. I mean, like uh, there are various studies that uh, this just won't, uh, yeah, uh, is, is is not is not working. I think if you if you add up all the certificates that are that are handed out. Globally, um, they account for double the uh, the surface of the uh, of the available land mass that we have. Actually, so we we see the, the we have to go uh, and uh, yeah, work on the way how we uh, give out these these labels, basically, or these these claims. And um, yeah, therefore, I'm I'm really happy that now the commission came up with this proposal. But of course, as I said, it's only one little part, like only the information for the consumers to uh, f in the area where they can uh, basically uh, decide um, what to buy. But there are far uh, there are a lot uh, more other um, uh, proposals and and laws that we are working on that re really contribute towards a yeah to, towards a planet that we can still live on and that uh, will be fossil fuel free in the future and uh, so yeah i'm looking forward to the discussion with all of you thank you thank you so much let's hope we do have a planet to live on in 100 or 200 years as you said um christian over to you image is not very good because i'm uh, in a in a very different part of the planet because i'm in presently in the southern hemisphere and um, maybe my uh, carbon balance at the end of the week is not going to be that good but uh, uh, to, to uh, answer your question and and uh, the initial statement there is no doubt that uh, we have to combine several performances uh, uh, productive performance. We need enough food. Uh, it has to be uh, accessible, although there is a question of price and cost. Uh, it must be good enough in terms of nutrition, and uh, we have to avoid uh, empty food. And surprisingly, there are less and less attention paid to that. And of course, we need environmental issues. One of the difficulties with the labeling and the environmental labeling is that we are giving the impression that all environmental issues are positively related to each other, which is not the case. Uh, you may be very good on uh, biodiversity and very bad uh, in terms of carbon uh, balance. You can take many, many examples like this. So uh, the difficulty we have is um, how we give a an accessible information on something that is very, very complex. And uh, it's difficult then to give a, um, a value with, that is uh, A, B, C, D, E, because you tend to summarize everything. And um, you do not give a, a very clear information. So uh, having this on mind, in mind, uh, how to work on that? 
Um, to my mind, there are th three or four elements we have to work on. First is that uh, we need all the, the actors all along the value chain to be involved. And I think this is very important, for instance, that to have a, a company like Mondelez is taking uh, the, its responsibility by pushing uh, um, a reference and Harmony, Harmony Plus, and tomorrow probably Harmony Plus Plus. Uh, and it's very important to, to have that because in, in absence of action of all the, the actors along the value chain, there is no way to have a, uh, a clear access of info, or clear access for the citizen and the consumers to all the information. And there is no way to reward the farmers for their very good practice as, uh, as uh, um, Emeric Duchesne uh, explained in his initial, initial introduction. The second element is to understand why, what is determining the willingness to pay of the consumers. It's not so easy. Um, there have been several studies in experimental economy, uh, especially in wine. Um, I've, if you want, you may refer to the PhD thesis of Ian Renault, published four years ago, where he analyzed the quality of the wine, the naturality, and the presence of residues. And in fact, you can document why the, the, the consumers are reacting and also to understand whether the, the women are reacting more than the men to this and this. And it's complex, but it's very important to understand that. And I think we must, um, in all the decision, we must go quite in detail in the, in the willingness to pay and what is determining this. And the last thing I want to, um, I want to put, if we set a label, we need to have a very easy way to access to the real information. So we need data everywhere. Um, when when you have a farmer claiming that he's doing very well, where do you get the, the, the information from? You can have them being uh, or applying, being involved in a program such as, such as Harmony. In that case, the trust is based on the contract between Mondelez and the farmers. But <clears throat> this is only true for uh, Local production, something that you control very well. But when you have a, a few compounds in the food coming from the other side of the world, uh, how do you take on board simply the shipping of the information or the shipping of the food? And sometimes it puts all, all the load of the environmental on the farmers and no one for the, for the rest of, of, the, of the supply chain. So, Capturing the information is very, very important. And this is probably where the digital issues are, are so important. So the, and I stop here. Thank you. Well, that, I think that was a really important point. Um, and we'll come back to this idea about how can data uh, help improve sustainability a little bit later. But um, Marie, please go ahead. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, so I'm Marie Harmony Program Lead at Mondelez International. So our program was created 15 years ago. It's our own wheat sustainability program in Europe. And we now collaborate with more than 1,360 farmers across seven countries in Europe. So thank you very much for having me today and for allowing me to give the industry perspective uh, in this panel. So consumers are really at the heart of everything we do at Monolith International. This includes enabling them to take informed decision when they purchase our products. Today, we have approximately 2 billion biscuits packed in Europe that carry our Harmony label on the pack, from Lu in France to Fontaneda in Spain to Opavia in Czech Republic or San in Poland. 
we have built a strong trust base with our consumers over the years. As you have heard from Emeric in the introduction, Harmony program is a pioneer wheat sustainability program in Europe. We have worked in close partnership with NGOs, with research institutes, with uh, agronomists, but also, of course, with our wheat chain for years. Our aim is to encourage more sustainable practices on the ground that aim at caring for the soil, preserving biodiversity, reducing carbon emissions, and preserving water. And we take this responsibility very seriously. Our robust program is rigorously controlled. It is rigorously measured every year. In 2022, more than 300 audits were conducted by certified independent organizations like SGS and Bureau Veritas. We have also gathered more than 400,000 uh, data points over the last year to analyze what works well on the ground, what does not work well, in order to really to fuel a continuous improvement approach to make sure we maximize our environmental impact. Therefore, with all of that, uh, we support the European Commission proposal to facilitate the consumer to make sustainable choices and to prevent uh, greenwashing. The legislation um, will create an equal level playing field for us as companies that we believe is a great thing. We believe in the principle of no data, no claim, and we also support that each claim needs to be backed up by scientific evidence. But it is very important for us as companies to, uh, that our own company uh, programs can still be accepted alongside public certified schemes. We support annual third-party verification, of course, and we really urge European legislators to allow the continuation of company-owned schemes, of which Harmony is an example, to continue our action of driving positive impact for our planet, for our partner farmers, but of course also for our consumers. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, well, let me start off with a sort of icebreaker question for all the panelists then. I mean, we've been talking about the, the jungle of claims out there. So what's the kind of worst climate neutral or greenwashing claim that you can think of? Perhaps you want to go first because you talked about it quite a bit. Uh, the S Swiss bank uh, Credit Suisse, uh, I, I think they, they claim uh, to be um, greenhouse gas neutral since uh, 2010, I think. Um, but since uh, only since 2016, they invested, I think, 83 billion uh, euro into fossil fuel infrastructure. So <laughs> there, there we can see some claims they really need to be backed up in some kind. I don't know how they came up with this, but I'm pretty sure offsetting plays a big role there. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, I can give you a few examples from our enforcement work. Of course, I will not single out any company that you will understand, but a couple of examples. One claim, for example, a better choice, footprint in fashion, not on the planet for clothes, gives the impression it's the better choice. Uh, the footprint is in fashion, is not on the planet, so you're doing something good. Not backed by, by any methodology, no data. Uh, carefully developed in a way that respects our planet on fragrances. No clear data, no clear methodology. Germany's most sustainable fashion brand sounds good, but based just on an opinion poll, not on any methodology. 
um, or because uh, you mentioned the, the carbon offsetting, neutralize the environmental impact of your rides, your car rides. Planting one tree means a 3,700 kilometer pollution-free car ride for you. Which of course is not even, let's say, the, the sentence is not true. It's not pollution-free. You're offsetting, but it gives you the, the impression, okay, I'm fine, 3,700 kilometers, I can ride for free. So is offsetting something that is, I mean, it's still a good thing to do. Absolutely. But there's a massive question mark around it, isn't it? Sorry, please. Okay, no, I, I, offsetting, great, of course. If you, if you do some, uh, if you do any kind of uh, carbon removal from atmosphere, amazing. But, but don't call yourself carbon neutral emission or, or emission free or something. Yes. You know, you, of course, you, you can yes. communicate that you, yes. that you invest in, in removal of, uh, but it's far more important to um, stress every company to invest rather in new technologies that avoid emissions and not just continue the old work how it was over the last decades and just buy some certificates. Uh, or perhaps do yeah, some data crunching to look at the actual also, practices. If I can add, indeed, in the commission proposal, uh, offsetting is not banned because, let's say, if you fly and you are still considered to your personal carbon footprint, you may want to offset by, by investing in some, some green projects. But it doesn't neutralize the, the emissions of your flight. So it, it, it depends on how you communicate. So as such, it's absolutely fine. But it's really the question, is the consumer getting a wrong impression and therefore nudged into a certain decision? That's what we want to fight. Okay, Biliana, you wanted to add something. Uh, yeah, you asked for the, these examples. Um, um, well, I can say a few things about uh, those who are very popular. <laughs> they are victims, uh, victims of their popularity. Uh, for example, uh, Coca-Cola had a, a red label for decades. And uh, one moment they uh, produced uh, a Coke with a Coca-Cola Life with a green uh, label, uh, even though it's uh, only uh, with a 6.6% sugar is not a healthy drink. Or, for example, Ryanair uh, uh, marketed themselves as lowest emission emissions airline. And it's really hard to say how they uh, 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 made up this, uh, on what basis uh, is this claim. Um, uh, I always say that we as legislators uh, have to have, let's say, a dirty mind to envisage everything that, that uh, can be, uh, which can happen uh, in the future uh, when imaginative individuals read our our uh, uh, proposals and laws that we are doing uh, doing on uh, working on, and then uh, they find this uh, gray uh, green uh, uh, sorry gray areas, and uh, um, they start to. Uh, advertise uh, themselves uh, in a way that it's misleading. Uh, they are very imaginative, so we, we have to be uh, quite vigilant. And if we, we don't have a dirty mind, then we have to uh, communicate with, uh, for example, consumers, uh, uh, protection um, uh, 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 union, um, uh, NGOs, and uh, the others who, who have a great experience with that. Okay, and Christian, you also wants to go. Um, and say something about the jungle of claims, I believe. 
Yeah, I, I will not um, give the name of the worst uh, because the list could be very long. In fact, the, the point that is behind the, the, the few examples that, that has been given um, is where, where the data are coming from. This is the first point. The second is, and it's especially true when we talk about uh, climate neutrality, is how you calculate that. And it's, uh, you have plenty of confusion everywhere, whether you are carbon free, where carbon neutral, carbon equivalent neutral, and this is very, very important in agriculture. Uh, and you have a, a kind of confusion. So this is one thing that is very important. The second, if, for instance, I claim I'm very clever and you are not, you may not trust me because it's one that is completely independent with able to say, okay, this is correct or not. And in fact, most of the claim of the companies are made by the company itself without any witness. And this is what is important in the, I will not, I will not uh, uh, make any publicity for, for Harmony, the, the Harmony system, but uh, uh, Harmony is setting a, a, a scientific uh, council. And this is very important because this is where the witness is, is going to come from. And it is very, very important to others. And at the end of the day, the, the difficulty is that we have so many claims everywhere that, in fact, the excess of, of label, excess of claim, means that none of them is becoming true anymore. Okay, well, let's do a quick audience temperature check then. Uh, just put up your hand if when you look at a product and you see them claim something on the back of it that's the best, greenest thing ever, do you actually believe it? Does no one want to put up their hands? Everyone's feeling really <laughs> shy today. Come on, audience, someone put their hand up. Does anyone believe? Do you put your hand up if you believe the, the green claim that's on the back of a product? Okay, one person. Okay, lovely. <laughs> okay, I guess the audience doesn't want to engage today. No worries, no worries. That's why we. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, does anyone? So, no one believes it. Okay. Um, but, Malta, let, let me ask you then. then um, despite the fact that the audience um, d don't want to engage on the question, um, how much does this influence the consumers then when, when they read these, these claims, these massive claims that this is the best, greenest product in the world? Well, I don't have uh, like solid data on this, but I guess the companies, they do. <laughs> and I mean, like there's a reason why they put this claim, because of course it's good marketing. And uh, so I think the, the biggest challenge here is basically, yeah, to, just to, to, to get rid of this, this unfair behavior. Because, I mean, like, especially in Europe, we have so many, like, uh, uh, small and medium enterprises, for example, that are really good performers and that really do a good job and that really invest in new technologies and uh, that, yeah, who try to, 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 to really uh, yeah, make, make the, the planet a, a better planet. And if we just leave all these, all these wrong claims in the market, then they don't have any, any uh, advantage to, uh, anymore because they, they're just fighting against these, uh, these big companies that can claim the same thing that they really do without them doing it. So, um, yeah, by really substantiating uh, these, uh, these claims and forbidding the, the, the yeah, unproven uh, claims, we really give the, the advantage back to, to those who really comply. Okay, Biliana, you wanted to add something. Yeah, I just wanted to add that I made a survey in Croatia 
And one of the question, uh, questions was on uh, uh, these environmental claims. And 90% uh, uh, answered that they uh, noticed some kind of uh, uh, environmental claim. But unfortunately, 70% of consumers didn't believe in, in those claims. So um, uh, obviously, people uh, are aware of the thing that there is lots of manipulation with these environmental claims. And that is uh, our uh, responsibility to do something about it, to return uh, this trust of consumers so that they could really make sustainable choice. Okay, well, Marie, you heard what Biliana said there. Um, talk us through, before we get into the policy of it all, talk us through what really goes into um, your labels. I mean, you said two billion biscuits um, have this Harmony label on it. So why is a label so important to a company? What are you trying to achieve through it? Sure, so I think... Um so I think first, what we tried to achieve when we created Harmony uh, 15 years ago was to create a bit of a standard, to create a reference, to really create a, a, a new system where actually farmers could have a premium to grow more sustainable wheat. So here, it was super important for us to work together with many external partners because we need agronomists, we need specialists, we need NGOs, we need the wheat chain really to help us to build this a charter of farming practices and drive environmental impact on the ground. It was super important as well for us to make sure that we had the, the perfect audit bodies that were here to support us to audit our charter, but also all the uh, data providers that were able to gather the data from the ground. So that's, I think, the first point. The second point, really, why did we create it? We created it because we wanted to bring uniqueness to our brands. We wanted our consumers to see that our brands are unique, are special, because they have this sustainable wheat program behind. They see that we do care about our number one ingredient in our biscuits, which is wheat. We invest in the program in order to drive some change, drive a change of paradigm on the ground together with the wheat chain, and that's adds value to the consumers. So I think it's, it's both driving the impact on the ground, being the reference, uh, the standard in Europe, but it's also driving value and uniqueness for our consumers and our brands. So it really helps you then with, um, you could say, your identity. But how does, I mean, we've been talking today about empowering consumers as well. How does it empower your, um, the people that buy your products? So I think uh, it, uh, it, it attracts consumers, for sure. Uh, when we, we talk about sustainable wheat practices, uh, they understand what we are talking about because we try to listen to them as much as possible through many consumer tests to really understand what are the key messages that resonate well for them. Uh, the fact that the wheat is selected carefully, the fact that it's grown close to our bakeries to limit the environmental impact, the fact that we apply more sustainable practices on the ground, the fact that we support biodiversity, the fact that we work together in partnership with our farmers, all of that are really super important criteria that our consumers value. And we want to empower them to really feel that our brands are unique because they have uh, harmony behind. Uh, and then they can really pick our brands for a strong reason and not just for you know, any biscuit brand. We have a center of uniqueness with harmony. Okay, well, Niels, let's come to the proposal then. Talk us through it. What is it really trying to achieve? The proposal de facto has two main parts. One is to improve information of consumers in terms of uh, making sure that certain information is given to consumers on 
uh, lifespan and reparability, and the other is to fight unfair trading practices, in particular the greenwashing. On the first part, uh, providing better information to consumers, the, the current consumer rights directive uh, in principle only looked at the performance of products, price, quality, etc., not at environmental issues. We believe that is something which we have to overcome. We believe that the environmental considerations have become so important that consumers should be given uh, certain environmental information. So what we uh, propose is that um, on uh, the reparability, there is information uh, given on, on how long one can repair a product in terms of availability of spare parts, uh, uh, repair services, etc. Ideally, and we talked about uh, color-coded labels before, ideally that is given in, let's say, a very easily understandable uh, color-coded label which the, the Joint Research Center of the Commission is developing. So you would have, like in some member states, it has started already in France, for example. Spain is also working on it. You have, let's say, a score from 0 to 10, color-coded, how easy can I repair my product. The second is on, on lifespan. We would like to, to inform consumers how long will your product last, because that is a very important consideration. We want to get away from this buy cheap, but probably throw fast and buy cheap again mentality. Ideally, the consumer should factor in, okay, I have a cheap product here, uh, which probably will not last very long. I have a more expensive product, which will last longer. But on the life cycle of the product, I'm better off by buying the more expensive product. And for that, we have to factor in this element into the purchasing decision. But the, that also seems to catch products, I mean, without you know, mentioning a product, but Apple, for example. Everyone knows if you've got an Apple phone, it will start um, decreasing in, in, in its productivity after about three years. So does this proposal actually catch, um, you know, a massive multinational company like that and force them to... Absolutely. Let's say it concerns every product which are sold on the uh, EU market. Of course, the... the so, yes, uh, those products would be, be caught. Of course, this product, in terms of product design, is interacting with... Another proposal which the Commission also put on the table last year, and you mentioned uh, already that a couple of proposals are interacting. We have the uh, proposal to revise the Eco-Design Directive, which sets out product requirements. So, for example, that a smartphone that you can take off the screen, that you can take out the, the uh, battery and replace it. Things which were not given in the past. You need to prescribe it, otherwise um, products can come on the market which cannot even repair. And by the way, this eco-design proposal also foresees some information, mainly business to business, but also business to consumer. But so first part of our proposal, better information of consumers on lifespan and reparability. The second part is really fighting unfair trading practices. What is very important is that the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive is a directive which um, interacts ex post. It doesn't uh, ban certain things ex ante, but looks how are traders behaving on the market towards consumers. And th there you have a couple of uh, activities which are banned upfront, so-called blacklist. They are banned directly in the annex. And there we would be adding certain practices, such as, for example, early obsolescence, planned obsolescence. When you design a product from the beginning that it breaks after a while, cannot be repaired, that would be banned from the very beginning. And other situations are where, let's say, you have to look into every individual case and then case by case decide whether uh, practice is, is uh, unfair. And this is precisely where the greenwashing comes in. Uh, we don't want to ban any, let's say, um, existing scheme as such. So if a company is running a good uh, claim, a good label, which is based on 
clear data on a clear methodology can justify uh, the, the merits it's putting forward, then let's say it would be allowed by the proposal. If the company, and I mentioned a couple of uh, claims before, cannot demonstrate this, is let's say not formulated in an understandable way, or for example makes a claim for the future, we will be carbon neutral by 2050, but doesn't indicate at all how the company has set out the process to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050, then this would not comply with the minimum requirements. But this is really an exposed case-by-case -case control. Therefore, let's say if, uh, I guess that harmony is a label for Mendeleev, uh, so uh, let's say if that label complies with those methodological requirements, being clear, being set on data, being uh, put on a verifiable methodology, there would be no problem for this claim to continue. We don't want to, to let's say, clear the market from, from uh, all claims. Okay, so this isn't just about standardization, it's about having, making sure that everyone is up to a certain grade. Um, but there was something that you also mentioned um, in your opening statement. Um, you're talking about, obviously, the cost of living. So, I mean, having, you know, enforcing changes that allow for us to have a more of a circular economy and for people to keep reusing and to have products for a longer time is great. But what about those products then, um, you know, especially products that we eat, that are more expensive? I mean, for someone who is on the breadline, right. who you know, can't even afford the basics right now. They're not going to want to, or they won't be able to afford these more costly products. So how do we get them to buy in? Well, let's say one key ambition of the proposal obviously is to ensure a level playing field. There are lots of products on the market which are based on clear methodology uh, where the proposal will not lead to higher costs. It will only make sure that those products are competing on a fairer basis with other products which are also based on green claims, but those green claims are not justified. And that is unfair because the other products uh, are produced probably at lower costs. Uh, are on the market at the same price level, but the other products which really are green, they compete on an unfair level. So let's say that's the key gist of the proposal. Of course, let's say being greener often uh, leads to higher costs. And that is something to which we have to be extremely sensitive. Uh, indeed, at the moment, not every uh, can afford uh, the day-to-day -day living costs. Uh, more and more consumers are uh, using consumer credits even for, for daily living expenditure. So yes, uh, that's very uh, important. But at the same time, let's say for, for uh, again, food products, we, we have this unfair competition on the market for, let's say, uh, electronic products, for example. If we succeed to bring in the perspective of a lifespan, those products at the end might be cheaper than really buying cheap, throwing and buying cheap again. It's important, but let's say um, the, the key point is not that the proposal will bring up prices, but ensure fairer competition. Okay, and Christian, you wanted to um, add something as well. Yeah, I wanted to react on two points. The first is uh, on what Marie Lul said. Uh, there is a kind of uh, balance uh, and, and a kind of contradiction between the fact that we have a balance, a, a label, and at the same time we need a progress. And very often when you set a label, there is no progress anymore uh, because you set, you set a standard and this is it. And I think there is a kind of challenge, especially regarding food and, uh, and agricultural product in, in the scope of the farm to fork strategy. Uh, we, we need label, but at the same time, we need progress. And I think this is uh, uh, something that is very, very important. And the second point on which I wanted to react is on the point uh, mentioned by Niels uh, Bernd. Uh, 
I fully agree with you, which is kind of um, unfair point that what is good is expensive. So in other words, when you are rich, you are allowed to have good thing. And when you are poor, you do the rest. In fact, one of the points we should have in mind is how we support innovation to avoid this to happen too often. And, um, and I think this is one way we, we, we have to approach uh, the story. If in agricultural product, for instance, we want to have production that is uh, high enough in quantity, good in quality and good for the environment, there are some type of agriculture that can be implemented. And this is where we have to boost innovation. So connecting the objective of quality through labor and through uh, good indication for the consumers must be connected with everything related in innovation. Okay, and there, the there two, was another point that, that, that you brought up, Christian. You talked about um, gender. Would you like to expand upon that as well? No, it was, uh, I, I mentioned the, the gender issue when we want to uh, measure uh, the, the willingness to pay of the consumers. And I think it is very important to understand why people are buying something. There, there are, um, you buy something because uh, you have an information, you buy something because you need it very often. Very often, in most cases, you need you need things, but you buy. Sometimes you are working on emotion, uh, you are working on your history, and it is very important, especially in agricultural product, to understand what are the basis of that, uh, what is the um, importance of the information, what is the importance of the context. It's very surprising to see that um, in, in, presently in Europe, the, the share of the organic farming product is, is not increasing anymore. And when you look at this is due to the, the high cost, but it's not much higher than it was before. So it's a kind of overreaction to the, the situation, the crisis in Europe, the, the war, the, the inflation. But in fact, it started, the, 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 the decrease in organic farming product started before any inflation. In fact, it's a kind of emotional reaction to a context, a kind of anticipation. This is why it is so important to understand uh, the, the behavior of the consumers and to go very, very deep uh, in the understanding and in the analysis of the very various group of consumers. Um, and again, not only to understand, but also for a, uh, for a reason of equity. And there is no sustainability if there is no equity. We tend to forget that. Okay, well, Marie, have I asked, you know, just to touch upon what, what Christian talked about there in equity. I mean, what have you noticed in the behavior of your consumers then when they buy your products? Yes, I think uh, uh, consumers, and, and we have many consumer tests uh, around uh, sustainability uh, as well, obviously, because this is a key topic we, we look at in, in details. And of course, we see that a lot of consumers want to behave more sustainably. The, the recent uh, analysis we had was 60% of them in Europe in 2021. So a large part want to behave more sustainably. They don't usually know so well how to do so. 
So we believe as Mondelez and as the Harmony program but that it's our role in a way to offer them possibilities to contribute with us in this sustainability journey. And this is something that we are pioneering this year actually with uh, four of our markets and uh, four of our great brands in, in Europe uh, to actually build what we call bee hotels in our Harmony fields, in our Harmony Mellifers Fellows that are uh, the flowers that are behind, uh, all around our Harmony fields. And we saw very strong interest for consumers actually to buy a product and be able themselves to actually contribute to a good initiative. And we actually see that this is probably a new dimension that consumers are now looking forward to. And here with our initiative this year, we will try to tackle that interest in consumers to actually participate themselves and not just be told what others are doing, but just take a part in this whole journey. So yes, we'll tell you how it goes when, uh, when it's live, but hopefully we'll have as, uh, the greatest interest from, from our consumers on, on this. Okay, so, so your consumers really sort of buy into what you do. Um, you know, given the conversation, I, I don't think you need to be too worried, but is there a worry at Mondelez that um, the proposal could negate your company brand-owned labels? And what would happen in that scenario then for you? So uh, to be fair and with what I understood right now, uh, I am not worried that uh, Harmony would be uh, neglected for many reasons. First, uh, we are third party certified, SGS Bureau Veritas, that are certified under the EN 17065 norm. Second, I think uh, we gather a lot of data. We have plenty of data coming from the fields that really help us to calculate KPIs. Examples are greenhouse gas emissions, uh, water eutrophication, uh, the, also the treatment frequency indices, for example. So we have a lot of data to analysis what we do on the ground. Uh, third, I think we do deep analysis on the ground as well. Uh, I can just give you one example. We have a pilot project which is called Soft Wheat Future where we actually uh, test new varieties of wheat with a selection of cooperatives in France that will require most likely less fertilization. And that's super important because we know that 80% of our environmental impact in wheat farming is linked to fertilization. So whatever we can do to limit fertilization, optimize fertilization, the better. And the fourth point really is that we have a co-constructed approach from day one. We have worked with all our external partners from day one to create the strength of the program. And we are now building this uh, Harmony Council of external experts that will contribute with us to really build the future of the program and support our commitment to regenerative agriculture. So I would say with those four points, I really believe that, yeah, that there's probably not, not too much risk on our side. Okay, Martin, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, why uh, don't you use, like, an independent label? Why do you want to use your own? Because I think even, I mean, like, it's great that it's third-party uh, ver verified. Um, but this is confusing consumers then in the end because they there are then every company has its own label. Um, so so why don't you like participate in a in a independent label, or the other way around? Would you be open to um, yeah let also other companies use your label if uh, you think that yours is the best? Mm -hmm. 
That's a very good question indeed. So I think um, the first point is that there is no uh, label today that exists in Europe for wheat sustainability. Right? So we created sustainability wheat program back in 2008, and then some other actors in Europe have started to create also uh, Europe, well, sustainability wheat program. So there's not a standard or reference is not existing at the European level right now. Uh, that said, we are, of course, in favor of a collective approach uh, to, to define a standard, a reference. Uh, for example, we are uh, a member of uh, what we call the SAI platform, so it's a sustainable agriculture initiative that is a non-profit network bringing together 170 companies and organizations leading the way in sustainable agriculture globally. And we are part of it because we firmly believe that creating a reference of a standard is in our favor uh, because we, we strongly believe that the wheat, uh, the charter of farming practices we have is strong enough to become a potential reference. And we actually believe that this is the only the first step. We have achieved quite a lot already, but we have so much more to do. And with the ambition of our program, which we called Ambition 2030, we will accelerate our progress on the environment, on the farmers, on the consumers. We have strong plans to really take that to the next level. Okay, well, well, well let me ask then, um, what, does, what do European parliamentarians want to do when it comes to company brand-owned labels? Because you don't seem to be too in favour of them. You would, I mean, would you rather that there's an EU standard? Well, uh, first of all, I want uh, them to, to be, um, uh, to be uh, verified uh, that there is a pre-approval of a label. But then, of course, I would also be in favour uh, of an uh, open label. So that is not company-owned. Because, as I said, I think this can lead to more confusion for consumers again. Um, even if uh, even if they are all uh, if they are all pre-approved by the Commission or the member states, um, then it's still uh, like wh why should why should then consumers uh, not not just why why don't we offer the consumers like just one label for one category? You know that is uh, through through the whole. But who's sector doing the verification? Hmm? Who's doing the verification? Well, I mean, like uh, that's still uh, to to debate the the pre-approval. Um, we would like to see it on the European level, of course, but that's always a question of money, of course. So we rather put it to the member states uh, and, and their uh, verification bodies or they, um, uh, that they uh, yeah, delegate it to, to, to institutions. Um, but yeah, personally, I would say um, we should rather go for independent labels or uh, yeah, like uh, company labels that are also open to others so that you do not uh, claim it only to yourself, but rather make it an industry standard in the end. Would you like to respond or shall I go to Beliana? One point on, on pre-approval, because I think it's an interest, it's an important uh, theme that you just discussed. Uh, so as, as uh, industry, as Mondelez, we are not necessarily in favor of pre-approval. Uh, but why is that? Because we believe that uh, it could be a long and burdensome process. Uh, if it's a process that lasts two to three years, our concern really is what do we do in the meantime? How do we communicate to our consumers about our program in the years that the pre-approval is happening? That's one point. That would lose consistency for the consumer that is very well aware of what we are doing on the ground. So first point. And second point, we would be also worried about hindering innovation and investment. Because, of course, if we remove communication to our consumers, 
We will struggle, therefore, to continue investing in our program in the future. It's, it's, a, it's a win-win approach. It's, it's a bit of a collaborative approach. We need the research institutes to build the farming practices. We need the farmers to implement the practices on the ground. We need the manufacturers to finance uh, those practices and support the farmers. And we need the consumers to buy the products because they are interested. It's really a virtuous circle that will really change the paradigm in the end. So just a quick point on pre-approval. Okay, well, let's see what Biliana thinks. Biliana? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that uh, companies didn't wait for us as legislators and uh, have some kind of uh, label uh, that will uh, make a difference on the market that uh, consumers will recognize as a, uh, a responsible production. But uh, you will have seen uh, my uh, draft report uh, and understand that we advocate for pre-approval of sustainability, sustainability labels. Uh, the bene uh, uh, benefits of a list kept at uh, EU level uh, comes with many advantages for many actors. Uh, for example, uh, this approach uh, would uh, provide better legal certainty for companies uh, better protection for consumers and enforcement by uh, market surveillance authorities. Uh, if you have looked uh, at the impact assessment, uh, this option was explored and shown uh, as having a significant uh, positive impact for consumer protection, as well as for business uh, uh, with the respect to level playing field uh, and uh, reduce barriers uh, to uh, cross-border trade. Okay. Um, one last question for Niels before we go to the many questions on slide. It's a thank you, audience. Um, how much more investment will companies have to make? Um, and is this then going to negate the innovation of, say, for example, a small producer? Perhaps allow me just one, two more comments mm. on, on uh, what we discussed before. Let's say the, the question of uh, the number of labels is a problem. Of course, in principle for consumers, the less labels the better it is in the energy sector for example we all know the energy label color coded a to to e then of course you have the plus 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 but that has been changed in the meantime but consumers know precisely if they go for the high level a and it's in the green it's good for the environment it's good for their pocket uh, they are saving money in the energy area this label is working perfectly fine the problem is that in in let's say environmental issues more broadly food also included we do not have this one label which works that well. And indeed, as, as Marie said, certain areas are not covered fully. We have some labels, the echo label, which is some kind of excellence label. But even that doesn't cover all elements. Then you have some areas, you have the Nordic Swan for certain aspects, which works well in the Nordic countries, not in other countries. So you have very strong regional differences, segment differences, and therefore uh, we believe that at the moment we don't see the possibility to go to this one single label on sustainability overall as we have for energy for, uh, because of the complexity of the market. In terms of an in, in investment, um, um, we have impact assessed indeed the, the um, costs uh, that companies would occur and our result was that uh, in any case for those companies 
uh, that are already basing their claims or labels on a clear methodology, on data, there is no additional investment cost at all. So let's say what I'm hearing from you sounds like your Harmony label is perfectly in line with our minimum requirements. You wouldn't have any additional uh, cost. For those companies that are not yet complying, there may be certain costs, but in our view they're justified because if you're using claims, uh, for example a 2030 uh, claim to, to reach a certain neutrality, whatever, and you don't have any methodology, no targets, then we'll say, okay, uh, if you want to continue using that label, then you have to develop a methodology to justify your claim. If you don't want to invest, you can get rid of your claim and still continue using your product without additional cost. So it's really uh, those companies that already fulfill the, I would say, plausible minimum criteria, they don't have additional cost. The others, if they want to continue their claim, they would have uh, limited costs, but really, in our view, limited ones. Okay, that probably makes you feel quite happy then. Um, okay, so to the audience questions. <laughs> um, we have a question from Suzo who says, why is the EU preparing legislation on claims but as a directive and not as a regulation, which leaves member states free in their application. I guess that's a question for you, Niels. Well, the, the, um, let's say the, the, the basic thing is here we are amending two directives, the Consumer Rights Directive and the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive. And uh, those directives are directives, therefore, the act with which you are amending the basic acts have to have the same legal format. Uh, basic directives, therefore, we have another directive. Could we turn the Consumer Rights Directive and the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive into a regulation which is directly binding? No, because the way how this unfair trading practices are controlled by member states is really transposed into national law and that is something that you can't uh, completely regulate at, at union level. Okay, we have a question from Mr. Vandenberg. He says, to the MEPs and EC, um, but actually I'm going to ask it to Christian because he brought up data. Um, he says, there are many legislative initiatives on labelling, uh, front-of-pack nutrition, animal welfare and sustainability labelling. How do we make sure consumers do understand the final product label with all of this data on it? Is there anyone keeping a holistic view? So, Christian, you were talking there about data. Um, would you like to take that one? Um, and I think this is very good and it's a very good question and it's very close to what we already discussed. In fact, how we can summarize many, many dimensions on a single letter. This is what, what is making the difference between agricultural product, food, uh, not comparable at all with the energy sector that was mentioned by Niels. Uh, you can measure the, the, the consumption of an energy. You cannot compare and combine animal welfare, greenhouse gas emission and all aspects. And this is um, something that is very, very difficult. And to some extent, in fact, when you make a balance between animal welfare and biodiversity, for instance, and climate change. In fact, it's a kind of um, uh, collective decision of the importance we give to the various elements. So you have a kind of multi-criteria. We have we are running a lot of multi-criteria assessment in in research. But if you make a radar of something, uh, you could say all the dimensions are equivalent. But at the end, you have to decide. And and the fact that uh, even if you give the same weight, for instance, to five dimensions, giving the same weight is already a political decision. And, and this is why we need a progress, continuous progress, because the society is moving. We, we are, uh, in, in 10 years from now, the, the balance we will give to the various dimensions will not be the same. 
So it's it's very very complex question. Mm. Uh, Biliana, I'll, I'll, uh, this is a question um, for you. Um, it says the proposal interventions put a lot of emphasis on not misleading consumers, ensuring that they can make greener choices. However, um, an important claim which is linked to sustainability is not addressed: natural products. How do you substantiate those claims when people say, I can see it's fine there. So how do we substantiate a product that says it's natural or all natural? Well, this is uh, uh, something that is uh, considered as environmental and also a healthy claim. Uh, so uh, now we're back to basis. Uh, everything has to be substantiated. If you, if you claim anything, th this is the intention of our proposal. If you claim anything on the product, it should have some kind of basis. It's impossible to claim something uh, if you if you don't have a, a certificate uh, or scientific ground for that. Uh, the, the the research uh, JRC research showed that uh, the simplicity uh, of uh, the claim uh, front of uh, packaging claim claim is is a key. The simpler uh, uh, um, uh, the, the label, the better understanding and uh, uh, consumers accept that uh, uh, labels easier. So uh, I have to tell you one uh, funny thing. I get uh, lots of uh, 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 lots of citizens uh, uh, called or asked me to uh, have some kind of initiative uh, to have a magnifier in every store so they can read these uh, small uh, letters. They say uh, we have uh, this um, uh, three millimeter, millimeter uh, letters on uh, of the ingredients. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, people, especially older people, uh, are not able to read them. So uh, they, they ask if it's possible to have some kind of magnifier in a shop so they can go and uh, look uh, uh, <laughs> a larger, larger uh, uh, labels. So uh, our uh, uh, task is to make that kind of uh, uh, problem, to, to uh, vanish uh, uh, and uh, to have easily understandable and uh, clear uh, label on the front of packaging. But magnifies um, at supermarkets. Um, I'll also throw you a question from Neri, who says, can supermarket or chain stores play a role in providing information desks um, or having telecode readers on the shelves where they sell green products rather than each consumer trying to examine the codes individually? Can the supermarkets play a role, Biliana? Yeah, uh, uh, in this proposal, uh, we, uh, on one hand, recognize uh, responsibility uh, of a trader, but also of a producer. A producer has a responsibility uh, to uh, provide the information. And then, of course, uh, trader is uh, uh, responsible to uh, give uh, uh, all this information to, to a consumer. So it, it shouldn't be only a responsibility of a trader. Uh, it should also be a producer's responsibility. Okay, lovely. Um, and then last question I'll give to Malta. Uh, Anne says, if the EU does not move fast, we will probably see more national initiatives. Are you in favour of the EU moving faster? I think the answer is quite obvious there, but yeah. Well, in general, I'm in favour <laughs> of the EU moving faster. <laughs> I think we have to get rid of all this uh, national uh, uh, this, yeah, single 
uh, actions uh, in, in general I'm in favor of harmonizing uh, uh, everything that is possible in the EU because uh, it just uh, decreases double uh, spending of efforts and um, so yeah I, I, I think uh, EU-wide solutions uh, always br bring us closer to, to our uh, I hope common goal of a, a European public uh, and European uh, identity so yeah. Well, there's already a label that is in harmony. Um, but anyway, um, I'll let you guys now wrap up. So, Neil, starting with you first, your final thoughts and um, thoughts for... Um, well, perhaps as, as final thought, um, I, I think the, the debate is, is very important, it's very timely. Um, I think there is a need to, to, to move further. The Commission proposal, uh, I'm happy that overall there was quite a lot of, uh, let's say, positive feedback. Uh, the Parliament is now having the proposal in the hands. Biljana uh, is leading on that. Uh, other groups are contributing. If you can make the proposal even better, let's say, in a let's say responsible way, absolutely fine. You will have our full support. It is important, of course, to see that proposal also in uh, the synergy with the other proposals. The proposal of green claims, which will come in, in March this year. The proposal uh, on, on eco-design, which was presented last year year, but uh, otherwise, uh, let's say, it's a very important area. There is no easy solution, um, and it's clearly a task, and, and uh, Malte, you refer to it, let's say, we have to do it for, for our gener the next generations to make sure that the way how we are uh, consuming in Europe is changing fast. We all, as individual consumers, are contributing heavily to the CO2 footprint, and if we are not showing how we can consume more sustainably, it will be difficult to convince others in the global south, for example, to do the same. Well, we also need to do it for ourselves. And I think that Absolutely. sometimes is, um, you know, the conversation always goes to the future generations and then we don't always necessarily take the steps immediately. Um, Biliana, your sort of final thoughts, please. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, my goal as a rapporteur is to protect uh, consumers and environment, environment because uh, this is a weaker side in, in uh, this story. Uh, and I hope that uh, we, we have started with our uh, negotiations uh, between political groups. Uh, I hope that uh, uh, the level of responsibility of all political groups is very high and that we are all aware, no matter on, uh, if we are left or right or, or a center, uh, that this um, uh, practice that is uh, uh, today that we use uh, and discard in a few years uh, that uh, consumers are not informed, uh, that they are misinformed, that this is behind us, and that we will get a majority first in the parliament and then later in a trialogues uh, from, for uh, great changes for the future. Okay, and Malta, can you see anything perhaps going wrong with uh, what the parliament's going to vote on then, on this proposal? Well, I mean, like, uh, as with all the projects we have in parliament, we are always uh, running off, there's always the danger of uh, big uh, industry watering it down or just uh, putting narratives that won't actually serve the public interest in the end. So um, I really hope that uh, we will collectively decide that we do not want um, uh, neutrality claims to be uh, based on offsetting. I think I made this clear, but I, I, I'm also really happy because I, I feel like uh, we're not the only ones and I, I, I think this is the right uh, way to go for. And yeah, as uh, I said in general, this is one part uh, of a 
bigger agenda of how to really contribute to sustainable production and cons uh, sustainable consumption. And yeah, I'm uh, looking forward uh, to continue working on this. Okay, Christian. Uh, thank you. Um, it's quite obvious that uh, we have to pay more, much more attention to the environmental issues. And for doing this, we need indicators. Um, as progress are needed, uh, the labels are necessary, but they must be considered as part of an incremental process. And to finish, um, it is clear that the consumers and the citizens are, are the very heart of the of the whole story. But uh, we must go beyond simply informing them. Uh, Co-designing with all the stakeholders are needed. They are possible, and there are plenty of new ways of working in that. And uh, worldwide, there are more and more implementation of living labs where we may have uh, new processes, new participatory processes for that. And I think it's a good opportunity for labeling, greening, and making the future more desirable. Caleb, thank you so much. Then last words to Marie. Yes, I think key key point from our end really is uh, we, we do support the European proposal to help consumers uh, make informed choices and prevent greenwashing. Uh, but it is still super important for us that company-owned programs, uh, sustainability labels are accepted and can continue to be used. We completely agree that they need to be robust, they need to be backed up with scientific evidence, third-party verified. Uh, Harmony is an example of those, uh, but we really do uh, believe that there's a value uh, to keep those uh, programs, keep those labels to push investment in the field, drive change, drive a change of paradigm and ensure that we have sufficient collaboration across the full chain to really do some change on the ground. We need to all take part in a collaborative uh, journey to change on the ground and we believe that industrials really have a role to play in this journey to change for the planet, for the consumers and for our partner farmers. Okay, well, thank you all very much. Thank you, to, obviously, to Biliana and Christian as well, who joined us online. And thank you to the audience and also the online audience. You've been watching a Euroactive Hybrid Conference supported by Mondelez International. Thank you and bye-bye. Thank you.